Second Chronicles chapter 7. Christianity is not an individualistic religion. It is not a religion that speaks of me, myself, and I. Uh, in our culture today, and you probably noticed, there's a lot of focus on self. Um, self-expression. Self-identity. Self-esteem. Self-worth. A lot of it is focused around me, me, me. I wonder if there are any young people here in the congregation here this morning. Any young children. Is it good to be selfish, do you think? Is it good to be selfish? If you see your brother or your sister or perhaps another young person at school being selfish, is it nice? Perhaps they take all the toys for themselves or the sweets. They don't share it with you. Is that nice? No, it's not nice, is it? But are you sometimes selfish? I know that I sometimes am selfish myself. Not thinking about the needs of others. And it's important, is it, to think about your parents. And most importantly, above all else, to think about God. To think about God and what God wants. Is it loving to be selfish? It's not loving to be selfish, is it? We should think about others. And we should think about home. Others in the home. Our family. And let's make that a little bit wider again. How about our church family? Our closest family. Our spiritual family. In our text we're about to read now. Solomon. God appeared to Solomon. Now this text, is it all about Solomon? Is it all about Solomon? No. It's about God. And it's about his people. And we need to think about that, don't we? We are one people. When God is speaking to Solomon, he says, if my people, all the way throughout, if my people, we need to pray for each other, don't we? When we're before the throne of God. We need to think about this. It's not just you and your faith before God. Yes, it's important that we trust as individuals in Jesus Christ. But we're part of one big family in Christ. And we're privileged to be part of that family. Privileged. It's not just Solomon who's privileged. As we read this text now, let us think how how we are blessed ourselves to be part of that family. Same family that God is speaking about here. Second Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 11 now down to verse 22. 11 to verse 22 of Second Chronicles. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord... And in his own house, he successfully accomplished. 
Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Our text here this morning will be that text we just read from Second Chronicles chapter 7. Dealing with that visitation which Solomon had by God. Anyone who's ever played in sports knows how important teamwork is. Teamwork. And also in other jobs, the importance of working together. That the collective, the group, is more important than our individual likes or dislikes. A team will suffer if it is thinking like this, me, myself, and I. That team will pull in various different directions and will not pull in one a direction. Family is one such example of where being together and being a unit is so important to work as a team, where we set aside things that are not so important for the good of the family. 
when a family loves each other, works as a unit, there is a blessing. And people in that family see what a privilege it is to be part of that family. Other people also see what a privilege it is to be part of that family. Solomon's a part of a privileged family. A very big family. And no, I'm not talking about just that he's part of the line of David. That was a wonderful blessing in and of itself, wasn't it? Uh, not just because he's the ruler in Israel. Uh, that is a wonderful blessing. And not because God especially appears before him. A wonderful blessing. A tremendous privilege that God comes to Solomon, appears before him, and speaks and reveals himself to him. What a blessing. But I speak here this morning saying he is privileged because he is part of this family which we are all a part of. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ. The text here looks at God's people as one. One body. When one suffers, we all suffer. And isn't it a great privilege to think about this at the beginning of July in 2022 in Balalagan? What a privilege it is to be here in the presence of Almighty God, to worship Him, to be among His saints, to be among fellow image bearers of God, and to share this wonderful experience to be part of this people, just as Solomon was. Our first point we're going to look at in this text here this morning is a people, the people who God visits. The people who God visits. When people come to visit us, it's a tremendous blessing, isn't it? Especially if we love that person. Uh, We rejoice when they come through the door. Verses 11 and 12 of our text says this, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. God appears To Solomon. God appears to Solomon. Yes, this is such a tremendous privilege to be in the presence of Almighty God, to be before the face of Almighty God, that His face would shine upon us. But Solomon is not the only one God visits. God has built this house of God. The temple has just been completed. We're told this in verse 11. And what does he say? That he has chosen this place. Verse 12. Chosen this place for himself as a house of sacrifice. He has chosen this place. In other words. This is the place where he set his love upon. This is the place where he set his love upon. This is the place of a sweet smelling aroma. 
well-pleasing before God is to be found. What a privilege. Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 to 8 tells us this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure. Above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And let's not get past this. What, what does this mean? This, this house of sacrifice. This is a place where these pleasant aromas are going before the throne of God. Uh, Philippians 4.18 tells us a sweet smelling aroma, a, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Well pleasing to God. Do you see friends here this morning? God has chosen this house. It is his choosing. He has set his love upon this house. His special presence to dwell there. He dwells in the inner holy of holies. Where he delights to be. Where he desires to be. This, uh, you know, for, I think for years in some way, shape or form we can think in our Christian walk. The Lord puts up with us. But he delights in us because of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are sinners. And yes, we do not deserve the least of God's mercies. However, this is where he wishes to be. This is where he delights to be in the presence of his blood-bought people. The house of God. And as we think about this here today, this morning in Balalagan here. God dwells here in a special way, does he not? We're not talking about the building. We're talking about where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. We're talking about the special presence of Almighty God in the worship of God. Dwelling amongst us. And what a great privilege of having this special guest in our presence. He delights to be here With his people. Imagine if you were to get a phone call. And that phone call was from Buckingham Palace. And the palace wants to ask you if it would be okay if the queen would visit your home. What would you probably say? Would you get a little bit excited? Or would you think, nah, that's not interesting. No, you'd be quite excited. You'd probably tell your neighbors. You'd probably clean your house from top to bottom. Cleaner than had ever been cleaned before. The best china plates come out. The best cups. Someone great is coming to my house and it needs to look well because it's an important visitor. Well, there's someone even greater who's in our midst here this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ. The queen is most likely too busy to visit any of us. But God is never too busy. He's omnipresent 
He is all powerful. And he is the source of love. And he loves his people. The house of God has a greater royal presence. Isn't that a great privilege to think about here. This Sabbath morning. So we've looked at the people who God visits. Now we're going to look at the people who God hears. The people who God hears. If someone special is coming to visit, that person is extra special, aren't they? When they listen, when they hear you. Uh, We know, don't we? We know fantastic people in our lives. And they just have this knack of hearing and remembering important details about your life. They'll remember birthdays. They'll remember anniversaries of sad events. Perhaps somebody passing away. They'll think about you. They look out for you. They listen attentively because they love you. Well, God hears his people. He hears his people. Verse 13. Verse 13 of our text. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15. Now my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. My ears will be open. And my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. What is being described here in our text in verses 13 onwards? This is talking about a time of chastisement. The Lord said that these things would come upon the land. If they sinned, if they fell into pride, if they fell into self-dependence. God's people were forgetting the source of their blessings. They were forgetting where all these good things came from. They were forgetting where the good crops came from. They were forgetting where the food in their table came from. And what happens with covenant curses... That's what is being described here in verse 13. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain. This is covenant curses upon the land. And you can read it in places like Leviticus 26 where it details this. He promises he will send such things if they ever turn from him. But with covenant curses, what does he do? It's almost like a tap being turned off. The blessings are turned off. Almost to remind us of where they come from in the first place. The rain, verse 13. It talks about when I shut up heaven and there is no rain. Now, in this part of the world, we might not think that's such a bad thing. We often complain about the rain, don't we? A lot. But let us think about another blessing about the rain. We would not have such a beautiful green island as we do if we hadn't so much rain. We're we're famous for it, aren't we, around the world. It's so green because of the rain. And there's farming you can do here that other parts around the world you can't do because of the rain. Only possible with the rain from God. 
And let's look at the locusts. It talks about locusts here as well. Or command the locusts to devour the land. Now, there's almost a sense in which God is holding back the locusts or anything that could do us harm at any moment. He is in control of all these things. Which is that protects us? God or perhaps the pesticides we've put down on the ground? Who protects us? Who truly shields us? And because of the last couple of years, there's been a lot of things in the news and other things that have made us a very fearful people. That we can forget where health comes from. It comes from God. And we need to, as much as we're, we're thankful for doctors, for nurses, for other things, wonderful professions that they are, but the main calling is to call upon the name of God. Who hears us? Who hears us? Prayer and being in the presence of God is, is the greatest medicine we will ever come across. The greatest healing we will ever come across is in the, in the presence of Almighty God. Hearing us. Hearing us. In this world where people are more disconnected, people do more and more, won't they, for a sympathetic ear. An ear that will hear them in their struggles. Well, here is an ear, friends, for believers in Jesus Christ. An attentive ear. An ever attentive ear. An open way. 24-7. Whenever we are going through difficulty and trial, the way is open through Jesus Christ. The, the veil around the end of Holy of Holies has been rent from top to bottom. And we have access to that Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ. We need to be trusting in Him. And remembering the source of all these blessings. Be it the rain, be it the protection of our homes. But if we do fall into sin, is that the end? If we do fall into a pattern of sin and hardness of heart, is that the end? Not at all. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, what will God do? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God resists the proud. God resists the proud. The one... Maybe outwardly, you may be spiritual. Maybe your neighbors think you're the most godly Christian. But in your heart, you are not born again. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. It says in James 4.6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Are we following the voice of God? Are we following him humbly? Realizing, I don't have all the answers. God has all the answers. And we follow him. And when we cry out to him, seeking to follow him, he hears us. And not only hears us, he delights to hear us. And answer prayer. So the people who God visits, the people who God hears, number three now, the people who God sanctifies. The people who God Sanctifies. Verse 16. Verse 16. For now I have chosen. 
and sanctify this house, that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. I have chosen and sanctified this house. Because there is a place or a people, this building really is a picture of God's people. There is no temple. There is no physical temple today, is there? And there will never be a physical temple in Jerusalem again. But there is a temple here. Uh, there is a temple where at the, at the base of it, we have the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. This people he sets apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. Almost like to be made holy. In, in Hebrew, the word here for sanctified is the word kadosh. And in Isaiah 6.3, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is before God, and he cries out, holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Three times, God is holy. We are to be holy. We bear the name of God. We are to, you could say, represent Him before the world. His people bears His name and the reputation of God. So, through Jesus Christ, we are declared before the throne of grace, holy, in Jesus Christ, based on His perfect work, His finished, complete work, and before the throne of grace, there's not a, a, a tiny amount of sin seen before the face of God because of Christ. Because He has washed us in the blood of the Lamb. And He has clothed us with righteousness, with royal robes of righteousness. But you're probably thinking, I am still a sinner. I sin in thought and word and deed. And I still continue to sin in thought and word and deed. And in fact, the closer I get to God, the more I see my sin. And dear friends, if that is the way you see it, that's, that's encouraging because you see your sin. You're growing closer to the Lord and you see more of how much we fall short of the glory of God. Our holiness in this world is not enough before the throne of grace. Our holiness is contaminated and we can never trust in our own works. We can never trust in our own holiness to get us to heaven. Imagine if somebody is giving you food and saying this food, it's mostly good food. There's just a tiny amount of rat poison in there. It's okay. 99.99% of it's Okay, it's just this little bit of rat poison. We're not sure where it is. Will you eat it? And you might get a bit nervous about eating through this. You'll probably throw it in the bin. Why wouldn't we eat it? Because it's contaminated. Before the throne of God, the standard of holiness, when it's declared before the throne of grace, holy, 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 Perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, perfect whiteness, perfect splendor is the standard. Now, none of us meet that standard. 
but one met that standard. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Perfect holiness. And so based on the merits of Christ, based on Christ, he declares and he says, holy. Holy. If we're trusting in Jesus, if we're not trusting in ourselves, if we're trusting in ourselves, we bring before God something filthy. But if we trust in Jesus, we come and it is a sweet smelling aroma before the throne of grace. But if we have been declared holy in Jesus Christ, he will also change us in this world. We will grow in holiness. I'm not saying that you'll be perfect. You will not. In fact, if you think you're perfect, your trust is in the wrong place. I'm saying, are you growing in holiness? Do you love Jesus Christ? Over the last five years, somebody showed you a picture from ten years ago, and you think, I barely recognize myself. I was a bit immature. I was doing certain things that I would never dream about doing now. The Lord has changed you, brought you closer to Him. And if that is the case, that is a great reason to rejoice. We may not see the progress every single day. We're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days. We need to feed on His Word. We need to be in His blessed presence because when we are, He will sanctify us. He will make us more like Him. And we need to be fed, don't we, from his holy and infallible word. Every day, we need food. Number four now, the people who God strengthens. The people who God strengthens. So we've looked at the people who God visits, hears, sanctifies, and strengthens. These are all reasons why we, dear friends, are part of God's privileged people. God's privileged people. In verse 17 and 18 it says this. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked. And do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments. Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. As I covenanted with David your father saying. You should not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. The people who God strengthens. God promises to raise up, uh, to strengthen this king. This king. If he follows in the way. If he trusts him. This is all by faith. And it is all by grace. If you keep, says in verse 17, as for you, if you walk before me, As your father David walked. And do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes. There is a life of obedience we are to aim toward. Yes we do fall short of the glory of God. And none of us have a perfect righteousness. But we are to keep this covenant by faith. And evidence of faith in the heart is what? Outward obedience. Outward change. Outward conformity. To the word and law of God. Now just because we're doing things outwardly. Does not mean we're perfect either. Doesn't mean our heart is right. There's many people. Throughout history. Outwardly have looked religious, holy. In the greatest churches. 
in the purest churches and yet have not known the Lord. It's a scary thought. Many on that day shall cry, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say to them in Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work lawlessness. Or depart from me, you who lived as if I never gave you a law to obey. And they said, Lord, Lord. They emphatically said that Jesus was Lord. But there is an outward proof. For the young people here, the the children. I wonder what would happen if you went to school and you said, I'm not going to do any work. I don't want to do anything. I'm coming in here. I'm just going to sit down and wait for the bell to go at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. Can you learn anything that way? Can you grow? It would be very hard with such an attitude. But what if you began to think differently in school? If you began to think, I am going to do my best. Now the teacher, the teacher's influence can be far more than before. Now that is an imperfect picture an imperfect picture of us thinking about this. If we are closed off to God, if we are stubborn toward God, why would God strengthen us? If our hearts are not turned toward Him, if we're not following His ways, we will feel weak. And if we're shutting the door, And hardening our heart to God's help, we're saying to him, we don't want the help of God. We do not want to do better. We do not want to be more holy. We're we're happy where we're at. That's a a bad place to be at. We should always wish to be holier than we are. We should always wish to say, I wish I didn't struggle in this area. We do struggle in areas. But we should wish to be closer to God because in heaven, friends, If we're looking forward to heaven, we will be closer to God. When we're in heaven, there won't be any temptation to sin. In heaven, there won't even be the thought entering into our minds to sin. We want to be closer to God. We should wish to be closer to Him. And in seeking to strive to be like Him. And if we do, if we trust Him, we follow Him, He will make our work to stand. And times are not always easy. There are things that will test us. Perhaps for the farmers here, perhaps an animal dies unexpectedly or you lose a lot of the herd. Disease spreads or perhaps late spring or different things that can arise unexpectedly. But if we look to God and follow in his ways, he will give us what we need. When we need it. And not a moment too soon, or not a moment too late. He knows the right time for all these things. But in the meantime, we need to follow Him and we need to trust Him. Is this easy? No. But we walk by faith and not by sight. He will put food on the table. And He will strengthen your faith when you keep your eyes upon Him. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good 
to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And if he can make, if God can make this empire to stand, and this is what he was doing here, strengthening this, this kingdom, then I will establish, verse 18, the throne of your kingdom. If he can make this empire to stand, can he not bring us food? We don't know what the future will bring, do we? People may be nervous when they're looking at the news and the cost of fuel is going up and how are we going to deal with this bill in the future? And it would be very tempting to, get, to lose sleep at night, wouldn't it? Some of our bills are going up more than others. But he will provide us what we need. He is in charge of the greatest kingdom with the greatest riches. Far greater than any of the riches that we have at our disposal. Far greater than any riches on this earth. He will provide. He will strengthen. And at the right time and at the right place. Trust him. And he is there to help us. Finally, number five, the people who God warns. The people who God warns. So we've looked at the people who God visits, hears, sanctifies, strengthens. And finally, we're going to look at warns. God cares enough. God cares enough to warn these people time and time again. If you look through the Old Testament, you're probably thinking, again, They're falling back into the same mistake. How come they can't learn? But friends, don't we fall into the same pattern ourselves? Falling back into the same old sins. But God cares enough to warn these people time and time again. Verses 19 onwards. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then it will uproot them, from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. I will make a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And, and as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? We cannot think. We cannot think that just because the Lord has blessed as he has for hundreds of years, this province, this part of the world, he has blessed it for so many hundreds of years. Generation after generation of Christians, that is a wonderful thing in families. But we must not think that just because our parents are Christians, or just because our grandparents were faithful Christians, that we are. We cannot think, I was born into a Protestant family, so I'm okay. I attend church every Sabbath, so therefore I'm okay. We must not think this. God sees fit to lovingly warn Israel at this point. Because it is clear there's the danger of this, isn't there? Second Chronicles 36 verse 15 says this, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. 
Why did he send all these messengers to warn them? Is it because he's a killjoy and he, you know, he wants to tell them all about hell or anything like that? No. He sends these messengers because he loves these people. Loves them. And how many messengers, how many preachers have preached over many years in this pulpit? How many preachers have been sent to this part of the world? God has mercifully shown compassion time and time again. Now, we need encouragement, don't we? As believers in Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded of the promises of God as privileged people. God's privileged people. But we also need warnings, don't we? We also need warnings. If we are among God's people, but yet walk in a way that is against God, and perhaps no one else knows it, perhaps only you and God knows it, but your heart is not right with God. And you might think today, you read such passages, well, has this got anything to do with me today? That's only if you do something really, really bad. But it does. The land here is their inheritance. Their inheritance. The land is a picture of their heavenly inheritance. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your heavenly inheritance can never be taken away from you. This is talking about somebody who was never born again. And never redeemed. And turned in rebellion against him grew up underneath the gospel but refused it and not only will wrath come in the world to come I think we also have to think about the wrath of God comes upon covenant breakers in this world and in the world to come if people have broken away do not repent the fall of a covenant breaker can be tragic. We see heartbreaking stories. It's not just for the Jews. According to the flesh who have rejected Christ scattered around the world. There are tragic consequences for those who turn their back on God. This last part may not seem so loving and might not seem so encouraging here this morning you may not want to think about this but as a privileged people God loves you enough to warn you he loves you enough to tell you the truth that our only hope is in Jesus Christ he cares to send messengers and he even sent himself Jesus Christ The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He shows you how to know him through Jesus Christ. Not in your sin. We are a tremendously privileged people. A tremendously privileged people. But with great privileges, there are great responsibilities. If you've grown up under the gospel, that's a wonderful blessing. But you have to trust in Jesus. Your parents can't trust in Jesus for you. You do. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, it is because God has done a work in you. 
and it is a wonder, and it is a wonderful testimony. You may not have gone out into the world and come back and have some fascinating testimony like that, but God has redeemed you. He has washed you. He has saved you. He has clothed you in his robes of righteousness. And when you come before the throne of grace, he loves it. He delights it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? We all share one with another. Amen.